0: So if you would, please take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. After the Gospels, you have Acts, and then Romans, and then First and 2 Corinthians. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Despite what some people may assume, and despite what maybe some of us at times expect, Christians are not exempt from suffering. As one thoughtful author has pointed out, and as many of you know, all you have to do is live long enough, and you will suffer. And even in a small church like ours, we could go around the room this morning, and we each of us have story after story of deep and heartbreaking tragedy, hard things, painful things. So how do we deal with suffering without giving in to despair? How do we cope with tragedy without losing hope? Well, rather than looking to our own wisdom, which is exposed in times like this to be painfully shallow, we need to turn to the Word of God. We listen to His voice, and we receive His truth. This, friends, is what we need this morning. It is His Word that sustains us, that directs us, And that strengthens us. So I'd like to read for you this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 through verse 10. This is God's word to us this morning. The Apostle Paul writes: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with broken and heavy hearts at the loss of a young man who is only 13 years old. There are many in the room today who are suffering grief and loss. There's confusion. There's questions. God, what we need today is to hear from you. We need your spirit to speak to us through your word and to ground us in the truth. So Lord, I pray that you would extend to us the comfort that you promise through your appointed means. So we pray for your help now in Christ's name. Amen. The text that we just read together is a text that Jelisa and I read together while we were sitting in the ambulance on Thursday night as the search and rescue was going on out at Clinton Lake. And God knew that we would need texts like this. That's why he put it in the word for us. And the man who writes it understands what it's like to suffer. 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And it was forged on the anvil of suffering. If you read through this book, you'll find the most common words that are repeated over and over again are words like tribulation and affliction and suffering. So when Paul writes to us about suffering, he's not being abstract. He's not being theoretical. He's speaking out of the pain of his own experience. He knew what it was like to suffer. And this book records many of the difficulties that he faced. And in 2 Corinthians 1, in our text here this morning, he provides us with with the God-centered perspective that you and I need if we're going to endure suffering. And that's what I want to give to you this morning. That's what I think the Apostle Paul is showing us in these verses, is a God-centered perspective that gives us what we need to endure suffering. Three things I'd like to share with you this morning in terms of this perspective. Number one, we need to remember who God is. We need to remember who God is. Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. You know, as Paul considers his own suffering, as he reflects on his experience He doesn't get stuck looking at what's around him. His attention is immediately drawn to God. Look at how he describes God here. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies. The God of all comfort. Paul is gazing upon God. Remembering who his God is. When Paul calls him the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's first of all remembering that God is the source of our salvation. When God the Father sent his only son into the world. He sent Jesus here to meet the greatest need that you and I have. As sinners, we deserve judgment. We deserve deserve punishment for our rebellion against God, but in his love and in his mercy, God the Father sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We who were formerly separated from God can be delivered from wrath and reconciled with our Heavenly Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus came here to take the bullet for us, to hang on the cross and pay the debt so that we can be called children of God. In this way, Paul remembers that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the source of our salvation. And in the midst of our suffering, We need to remember how the love of God has already been shown to us. We've sung it this morning. I don't know if you noticed, but each one of those songs rehearses the love and the grace and the mercy that God has shown to us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul focuses on that. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of our salvation. And what this means is that the God we serve is not unacquainted with grief. Our God knows what it's like to suffer, to have a broken heart, to be rejected, to be abandoned, to experience physical pain, emotional anguish. He knows and He loves us. And by coming to suffer in our place, Jesus has provided hope for us that one day our suffering here will end. There's an expiration date for the tears, there's an expiration date for the sorrow, because there is a day coming, purchased with the blood of Christ in which all things will be made new. And those of us who know Jesus will experience everlasting joy and enter into eternal life. While we as believers may experience affliction now, we have been spared from an affliction and a suffering that is far worse. Our suffering as Christians now is temporary. But through Christ's death, we've been spared from a suffering that is eternal. The righteous wrath of God poured out on sinners for eternity is what Jesus came to rescue us from. So now any affliction we face here, Paul in Romans 8 can call a light and momentary affliction that he says doesn't even compare with the glory that is going to be revealed. Paul knows this and he rehearses this truth to himself and he worships God for the salvation he has provided through his son. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of focusing on his suffering, Paul adjusts his gaze to the source of his salvation. But notice that the source of our salvation is also the supply for what we need here and now in this moment. He calls him the Father of mercies. And I love how he doesn't just say the Father of mercy, the Father of mercies, plural. Whatever it is that we need in this moment the various kinds of mercy that that meet our specific pain and our specific kind of suffering and our unique experience, God is the one who provides those mercies. God's mercies includes everything that he does for us, both in saving us and in his pouring out of compassion upon his children. The Father of mercies is the source of what we need I love Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Many of you will know this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He is the father of mercies. But Paul's not done remembering who his God is. He's not only the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies, he calls him the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Paul knows that the God he serves, the God he believes in, is a God who comes alongside us, not necessarily to always make us comfortable. Not always to remove the source of pain but to comfort. If you think about that word, it's really put together from two words, to, to come alongside and to give strength. You even see the word fort there in the second part. You think of a fort you know, that, that has strength to defend you from enemies. God comes alongside and gives us strength. That's what it means that he is the God of comfort, even if the pain doesn't subside right away. We have a God who is able to provide for us the spiritual resources that we need that can bring healing and provide hope and infuse us with strength to endure. And friends, there's not another source of this kind of comfort. You know, many of us will be there on Thursday and there will be some among us there on Thursday who don't know what to do with a tragedy like this. They don't know how to find comfort. Jaleesa, you might even hear people saying things that are meant well and and it comes from, you know, a loving heart But it's sentimentality. It's wishful thinking. You know, you can say nice things that have no substance, but that doesn't make it better. There's no real help in the kind of statements that get printed on a mug. To tell you just to dig down and you're strong and you can do this. You know, there's other people who may, instead of like sentimental sayings and wishful thinking, some people will turn to distractions to try to to help themselves deal with grief and suffering. But if you just go and bury yourself in social media, if you just turn on Netflix and let it run as long as it'll go, if you turn on the TV just to numb yourself, you will only delay the inevitable task of facing reality. You can bury yourself in your work. You can go to the gym and work out until you literally collapse. But no matter what you pour yourself into, at the end of the day, the suffering will still be there. And you can't just distract yourself In order to process things like grief and pain, you can try to numb yourself with food or drink or drugs, but that will only make things worse. Friends, the true comfort that we need comes from God, not from wishful thinking, not from distracting ourselves. With the things of the world, not from trying to numb ourselves with the resources that we can put our hands on. The comfort that we need comes from God. He is the God of all comfort. As Paul reflects not just on his suffering, but on his God, Paul is moved to worship. After he gives the greeting in verses 1 and 2, he gets to verse 3, and his first words to these people are words of praise. He says, Blessed be God he knows who his God is and that's why he can worship even in the midst of suffering you see those who have the clearest vision of God always get to this point of worship like Habakkuk like Job Paul can say the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord he has a God-centered perspective and even his suffering and his pain cannot eclipse the God of grace who has sent his son Jesus, who is the source of all of our comfort, whose mercies are new every morning. Paul has a big God. And in times like this, we need a big God too. We need to know who God is. You know, it's easy for us to exalt and bless God when he gives. When you get that raise, you know, when that cute guy you've had your eye on asks you out, You know, when all of your family comes together at Christmas or Thanksgiving and it's picture perfect, it's easy to bless God and worship him in times like that. But when all your plans fall apart, when God seems to take away, when life becomes hard and the pressure and the pain mounts, praise and worship doesn't come so naturally to our lips. Friends, this kind of worship in the midst of suffering only comes when you know who God is. And it only comes when you don't just know who God is, but your eyes are fixed on him and you are looking to him and you are remembering who he is and you are fixing your gaze there. Then and only then will we be able to worship like Paul. Job knew who his God was. Paul knew who his God was. Do you? Do you know who God is? Do you know your God? Are your eyes on him in times like this? If you'll fix your eyes on God and remember who he is, there will be worship, even as you process the pain of suffering. When suffering comes, we need to remember who God is. But there's a second thing I want to share with you. We don't just need to remember who God is. We also need to remember what God is doing Because God is doing something. He has a purpose, he is active, and he is doing something now. Look at what Paul says in verse four. We can back up a little bit, I guess. Let's start in verse three again. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts. That's who God is. Now look at what God does in verse four. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, God is active, and he's active in providing what we need. The word that Paul uses here for affliction is this this Greek word phlipsis, which, which means squeezing and pressure, that feeling of being crushed. Some of you felt that this week. You feel like you're going through the ringer, literally, Adversity and tragedy does that to us. We feel like we're being crushed. But whenever you see a follower of Christ who's going through adversity, something painful, you will also see something else if you look carefully. And I've seen it this week. What you will see is a faithful God who is at work. A God who is actively providing comfort. Paul praises the God who comforts us in all our affliction. I love this because Paul has, has already told us he's the God of all comfort, but now he's doubling down. He's saying not only is God the source of comfort, but he's not passive. He's not just a passive source of comfort like, hey, I got some of that comfort. If you need it, you can come get some. No, God is initiating, stepping forward to actively comfort us in all our affliction. God is at work. He's not sitting on his hands. And as the all-powerful and faithful comforter, it will not be the crushing weight of affliction that has the final say. It will be the faithfulness and the grace of God. How does God comfort us? You might be saying, I need some of that today. I need to experience some of that comfort. How does God comfort us in times like this? Well, I think God comforts us, first of all, by his spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word helper, it it can also be translated as comforter. It's the same word. Jesus has given to us his spirit, the comforter, to be with us. That means he is here. He was with us at the lake on Thursday. He's been with Chalisa in her home. He is here today in our midst. He'll be with you when you face your suffering tomorrow or next week or next year, whenever it comes. The Holy Spirit fulfills God's promise to be with us. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How does God keep that promise? By giving us his spirit, the helper, the comforter, who is present, who gives us strength, who leads us, who guides us. God comforts us by his spirit. But secondly, God comforts us by his word. He comforts us by his word. I love Psalm 119. It's a massive hymn celebrating the beauty and the power and the value of God's word. And it says this in verse 50. The psalmist says this. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Can you say that? Can you look to the Lord and can you hold up his word and say this? is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. God comforts us through his word. In Psalm 119.92, it says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It would have been over. It would have been game over. But your law is my delight. It's what gets us through. God comforts us through his spirit and through his word. It's in God's word that we are assured that God loves us and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is in God's word that we find the promise that God is good and that God is in control and that he is with us and that life and suffering are short. And that eternity and joy are long. And that through faith in the finished work of Christ, we can have eternal life. It's in the word that we read how this story ends. On Thursday night, as we were sitting in that ambulance waiting on on news from the dive team, Jalisa said, can you read that scripture that says he will wipe every tear away from every eye? Can you read how the story ends? And we turned to Revelation 21 and we read these words. John writes, I saw a new heaven... And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He sees literally heaven coming down to earth. And then John writes this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. this is Christ, the all-powerful king, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, when we read those words, we experience the comfort of God. God comforts us through his word. Not sentimental, wishful thinking. Not empty, inspirational quotes. Not distractions. Not just digging deeper into our own resources. This is the truth of God. God. And it is a rock for us to stand on in times of adversity and hardship and suffering and grief. But there's a third way God comforts his people, not just by his spirit and not simply through his word, but also through his people. God provides comfort to those who are suffering through his people. The church is the family of God. And as the body of Christ, we are called to bear one another's burdens. And that means that while Jalisa is suffering in a way that none of the rest of us are, we are called to enter into that with her to grieve with her, to weep with her, and to bear up under this load with her. In doing so, we demonstrate the love of Christ. We minister to each other and serve each other. And this is God's provision for the sufferers. This is a blessing, a gift from God. He has created the church. Christ shed his blood so that sinners like you and me could be added into this body, and God designed how the church would work. He knew that he would use people to be the garden hose that's hooked up to his source of comfort so that God could deliver to people what is needed through people like you and me. God comforts the sufferers through his people. and He empowers us to have this kind of ministry. God is at work in our affliction. He comforts us in all our affliction. This is what God is doing, and He does it by His Spirit and through His Word and through His people. But God's doing something else. He's not only comforting us, meeting our needs, but look back on verse 4. God is doing something else right now. He's also equipping us and preparing us to meet the needs of others. Paul says God comforts us in all our affliction for a purpose. And that purpose is, just, is bigger than just our own experience of suffering. Look what he says. He comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's an encouraging truth. There is a purpose in our suffering that transcends our pain. Anytime we suffer, you know, we always want to ask the question, why? That's human. It's natural. God, why did this happen? Why now? Why him? Or why me? Or why her? Why so young? Why in this way? And God usually doesn't answer those why questions. You can read the book of Job and see that we don't always get to know all the reasons why. His purposes are not always revealed to us. And ultimately, that's not what we need. To get through, But here in this text, we do find one of God's purposes in suffering. And we can answer clearly from Scripture one of the reasons why this happened this week. It's so that God can provide supernatural comfort to those who are suffering and therefore equip them to be able to extend that suffering someday in the future to others. Paul himself lived with the constant pain of being squeezed and crushed through affliction but Paul also experienced the supernatural help of God's grace. And he, he understood this. He understood that that comfort he had received, and even his own suffering, was not intended to be an end in and of itself. It was intended to equip him to help others who were suffering. And many of you have experienced this. Whether it be death or cancer or depression or unemployment or divorce or financial financial crisis or loneliness, isn't it amazing how when you've come through something like that, God brings across your path someone else who's tasting the same bitterness that you've had to go through. And you are all of a sudden uniquely positioned to give them exactly what they need, to give them the comfort and the help. And in that moment, you are being used by God. And that means that your suffering that you went through has value. And it has purpose. This is one way that God redeems and uses our suffering. Our pain and then the comfort that we receive as we work through that pain. We're not supposed to hoard that for ourselves. It is to be freely given to others. And if I can just praise God for what he's doing in somebody's life. You know, this week I've seen others sharing comfort with Jalisa and with her family. But I've seen another amazing thing. I've even heard Jalisa giving comfort to others. The mother who just lost her son is experiencing and receiving comfort from God and is giving that comfort to others who are grasping for something to hold on to. Friends, that is God at work. That is God at work. How else can you explain that? Except that God is at work in suffering, meeting our needs, and even equipping us to provide that same comfort to others who are in need. We need to remember who our God is in times of suffering, and we need to remember what God is doing. He is here, he is at work, and he is faithful. We need to remember this. We need this God-centered perspective as we go through times of affliction and difficulty and suffering. And then third, I want to share with you this, and this is the third final point. We need to learn to rely on God. We need to learn to rely on God. We're not going to work through the entire uh, text this morning, but I want to look down at verses 8 through 10. Paul says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to us in the Christian life is our self-reliance. Isn't it? It comes so natural and it feeds our pride and our sense of wanting to be bigger and stronger than anything that's out there in the world. But sometimes God is gonna bring things into your life that show you that you don't have what it takes. And you need a strength that comes from outside yourself. And the easier that life is for us, the more tempted we'll be to pull away and rely on ourselves. And we might even naively look around and say, hey, I've got this all together. I can do this. But it's only a matter of time until God brings something like this to teach us to rely not on ourselves, but on him. Because things that are unbearable, the kind of weight and this crushing weight of sorrow, it amplifies our weaknesses. And it breaks us of our self-sufficiency. And it draws us to depend on God. Because if we don't, there's no other way to survive. So it's sink or swim in those moments. And we learn how to rely on God. This, friends, is not God being spiteful, it's not Him saying, okay, I'll cut you down to size. That's not it. It's his gracious gift of suffering that breaks us free from the shackles of pride and self-reliance so that we can open our hands to receive something that is so much greater, and that is God himself. He wants to give himself to us in these times. But if we're trusting in ourselves, grabbing our own bootstraps to pull ourselves up and flex our muscles and throw out our chest and stick our shoulders back and say, I got this, if we do that, we'll never be able to receive his grace. We'll never be able to receive that treasure of God in us, his power at work in us. So suffering can even be a gracious gift to teach us to rely not on ourselves but on God. In verses 8 through 10, Paul is honest about just how de- devastating personal trauma can be. Paul's not just you know, trying to pretend like it's not that bad. He's honest. He says, listen, Without God's power, it would have been impossible for us to endure. He recalls a pain that was so intense and painful that it took him beyond the limits of his own strength. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So Paul's not trying to just pretend like it's not that bad. He's honest about how difficult things were. He felt so helpless that his life was hanging by a thread. And he's convinced, he was convinced at that time that he wasn't going to make it. He said, this is the end. It's gotta be the end. I'm done. How many of you have ever heard the statement? Maybe someone well-intentioned has said this to you. God will never give you more than you can handle. You guys heard that before? God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. And let me just give you some pastoral counsel. Don't ever say that to someone who's going through suffering. God may give you more than you can handle, but he will never give you more than he can handle. And that's the point. We despair sometimes of even life itself, but this is not intended to crush us. It's intended to teach us to rely on God, to make us rely on his power. This is why sometimes God takes us through things that feel unbearable, because God wants to bring us to a place where where we will learn to rely on him and him alone, to rescue us, God works through pressure so that we come to rely on his power. And so you might ask the question, okay, I am at the end of my resources. There's nothing else in this world I can turn to. I guess my only option is to look to God. And you may ask the question, can God really handle it? Is his power really enough? Is he really able to bear the full weight of all of my desperate trust and my faith and my needs and my grief and my sorrow? Can I really pile all of that on him? Is he really powerful enough to deal with all that? To those who fear and doubt, I want you to consider exhibit A of the power of God. Paul points this out in verse 9. That was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God. God who raises the dead. The God that we trust in, the God that we rely on, the God that we lean on in times where our resources are spent is a God who is able to reverse death, a God who is able to open the grave, a God who is able to undo that process of the loss of life. And he did it for Jesus. And that same power is available to us. And it is sufficient for whatever we face In 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul was suffering and he's asking God for relief and God doesn't answer his prayer to take away the pain. He doesn't take away the circumstance, this thorn in the flesh that was causing him to suffer. But here's what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And you know what Paul said in light of that truth? Paul says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, when we are suffering, when we are grieved, when we feel broken and we come to rely on God as the only one who has the strength to get us through, it is in those moments we experience his power. It's in those moments we experience his divine help. And Paul shares in verse 10 that even though they felt burdened beyond their strength, even though they got to the end of their rope and even despaired of life, God came through. Look at verse 10. He says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. He delivered us. That situation Paul was in, God brought him through. And so Paul can confidently say in the very next breath, and he will deliver us. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God's faithfulness has been proven in the past and we would do well to think back whether it's through the stories of scripture and see how God always came through or even to look back in our own lives and remember how God has been faithful to us. We would do well to look back and be encouraged and strengthened by God's faithfulness in the past because that will help us to look forward to the future. Paul does that In verse 10, he says, he will deliver us again. He will deliver us again. Paul knows that whatever he faces in this life, God will be with him and his grace is enough. And Paul knows that even at the end of life, even when Paul ends up in a Roman prison and his neck is placed on the executioner's block, Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He will deliver us even from death and bring us into eternity. So Paul is confident that God will come through. That's why Paul could say confidently, on him, we have set our hope. In times of suffering, we need to remember who God is. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his love and grace, he sent Christ to provide us salvation. He's the comforter. And we need to remember what God is doing. He is comforting us in our affliction by his spirit and through his word and through his people. And he is equipping us to even be able to share that comfort with others. And God is teaching us something, a precious and valuable lesson, teaching us what it looks like, what it feels like, what it means to rely on the God who raises the dead and to experience his power that carries us through in those moments of our deepest weakness. Friends, this is the God-centered perspective we need when we suffer. Like Paul, who could look up in worship and say, blessed be God, our eyes today need to be fixed on the Lord. Typically, we obsess over over our circumstances. We focus on our suffering and we want to better understand what's going on and what's happening. But the path to knowing God's comfort, the path to receiving this comfort, it's to fix our eyes on and better understand our God, not our circumstances. To, To understand what he is at work doing and to ask the questions that he provides the answers for. Questions like, God Show me your power. God, how faithful are you going to be? God, what is the source of my hope? Those are the questions he answers through his word. So we want to worship our way through trials and suffering. We want to praise him even in the storm. We want to celebrate his power when we feel weakest and celebrate his sufficiency in our times of deepest need. And as we do, we can rest in the assurance that our trials are not meaningless. Nothing goes to waste. Jalisa has said again and again and again over the last several days, I know God has a purpose and she's right. It's true. Our suffering is not meaningless and God's purpose is in part to reveal himself to us, to teach us to rely on him and to equip us to minister to others and therefore we must not waste our suffering. If we just try to do the whatever we can to get out of this experience as fast as we can to try to make the pain go away. We are in danger of missing out on what God desires to do in us and what God desires to do through us. We don't want to waste our suffering. This, friends, is a time to lean in and experience God's comfort and be equipped and be taught as we draw closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, some of you here this morning, you may, know, you may not know what it's like to experience that kind of comfort because you may not know what it's like to have a relationship with the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who sends his spirit to comfort his children. Perhaps you've never experienced the love and mercy of grace and grace of God that is only found when we come to the foot of the cross and confess our need and place our trust in him Friends, as we go through our own suffering, it's right for us to remember that we have a Savior who suffered more than any of us ever will, and he did it out of love for you and me so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be brought into a relationship with God so that we could enjoy the presence of his spirit so that we could receive not his judgment and punishment for our sin, but instead receive his help and his mercy and his comfort and his strength. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, perhaps one of the reasons that God allowed this tragedy to happen to Jayon and to Jalisa is so that you could be awakened to your need to know this God. And if you don't know him today, perhaps God has brought you here because he's calling your name and he's telling you, I love you, but you're in sin and we need to take care of this and the only way we can take care of this is if you come to the foot of the cross where salvation has been provided through Jesus. John did not die for no reason. His suffering is not a waste. And perhaps God wants to use a tragedy like this to draw people to himself, people who need him. You can't do it without God. Some of you've tried, we've all tried at different times. We know how that story ends. It doesn't work. But it's in times like these that we, are, we become sensitive. We become sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in us to convict us and to draw us to Christ so that we lay down our pride, we confess our sin, and we say, Jesus, I need you. I am yours. Save me. We repent of our sin, we lay down our rebellion, and we put our full trust in Jesus Christ. If that describes you today, if you need to experience that, then my prayer is that today in this moment, you would hear the voice of God calling to you as the scripture is being read and as the spirit is at work and that you would place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One day this life will end and eternity will begin and we need to be ready for that day, each of us, because we don't know. Jayon didn't know that it was going to be Thursday. Jalisa didn't know. None of us knew and we don't know when anybody else's day is going to be either. We need to be prepared to meet our Lord. And the only way we can be ready is through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of us who are trusting in Christ, those who know God and belong to him, all the suffering and trauma and sorrow associated with this life will be over on that day. For us, we can look forward to death. We can look forward to eternity. We can say with Paul in Romans eight eighteen that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. For those who have salvation in Christ, this life is the closest thing we'll ever experience to hell. But for those who don't know Christ, this life is as good as it gets. Even with all of its brokenness and its pain and its sorrow. For those who are not trusting in Christ, the suffering and trauma of this life is only going to be amplified if they persist in rejecting Jesus as Lord and as Saviour. So if that describes you today, I hope you hear the good news that your story doesn't have to end that way. There is mercy and forgiveness and hope that's been provided through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Perhaps God wants to draw you to himself today. I encourage you to cast yourself on his mercy and believe. Turn from your sin and self-reliance and trust in Jesus. Find in him all that you need for life now, but also all that you need to enter into life for eternity. This is the source of hope for those of us who know Christ here today. And our task in this time of suffering is to lift our gaze to God, place our faith in him. We remember who he is and what he's doing. We rely on him. And then we extend love and comfort and service to those among us who are suffering. That's how we need to respond in this time. This is a unique moment in the life of our church. These kind of weeks don't come along very often. And we want to be faithful to look to the Lord, to worship him, and to faithfully love and be used by him in times like this. All for his glory and all for the joy and the good and the comfort of his people. God, as we look in your word, we are thankful and encouraged to know that you are a God of love and the God of all comfort. And you are at work right now providing what we need. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for relying on ourselves, for depending on our own strength thinking that we have what it takes to grit our teeth and bear down and get through times like this. God, we confess to you today our our need and our weakness, and we ask you to show yourself strong, to provide everything that is needed so that you will get all the glory. Lord, carry us by your grace, with your strength, and use us to be instruments of mercy to others who are in need. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.